All right, you can have a seat, and um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. I have an actual uh, Bible with leather and pages here today. If you were here last week, you'll know uh, what I'm referring to. If you're on the online church platform, there are there is a Bible, and the notes are in there as well. But uh, last week, we started a sermon series called Broken, looking at brokenness uh, from some different angles in uh, the Bible, and last week we talked about how, uh, you know, we need to be spiritually broken. It's something God uses that in order for us to really have a new beginning, we have to, by His grace, come to the end of ourselves, to uh, humble ourselves, and to actually surrender uh, to Him. Now, we look at um, brokenness from a different angle today from uh, one of my favorite passages actually in the whole Bible. I think that it's something that's very timely uh, for us with uh, what's going on, but it's really always timely for us uh, as a church. We're going to talk about being broken to make a difference today. And you know, there's tons of problems that are going on in, in the world, uh, in our nation. I mean, it's cliche at this point to say that we're living in unprecedented times, but it's true. I mean, we could just go down the list of all the things that we're dealing with. I mean, beyond a pandemic, racial issues, uh, sometimes wrong responses to that kind of thing. We could talk about abortion. We could talk about human trafficking. I mean, we could go through a long list of things that are going on in the world. As the church of Jesus Christ, we ought to talk about what is the ultimate problem, and that is that there are millions of people that are headed towards a Christless eternity because they don't know Jesus. They're going to be separated from God in hell. And many of those uh, have never actually even heard uh, the gospel. And so I think the, the issue is when we think about problems, and of course we're all dealing with problems and situations and difficulties in our own lives, and then we watch the news and we read the Bible and we think about kind of what we maybe ought uh, to do, sometimes I think it's easy to get overwhelmed and shut down. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's more comfortable to kind of stick our head in the sand. Sometimes I think it's easy to hide ourselves in, in entertainment, in kind of frivolous things, because it's painful sometimes to deal with the reality of what's going on around us. And, and, and I think really, the more that's going on that's hard in our own lives, sometimes the harder it can be to engage in other people's pain or to actually want to make a difference in the world. So I think at some point, all of us have to make a decision. Are we going to kind of embrace some pain, some brokenness in order to make a difference? Or are we just going to stick our head in the sand, entertain ourselves, go on our little merry way and try to do the best we can in our own lives? Or do we really want God to use us to make a difference? A lot of times I, I, we would say we want things to change. Right? I mean, if we're honest, we could uh, gather close here together, together today, and we could 
just kind of go around in a circle or whatever, and, and we could talk about a, we could come up with a big long list of things that we would like to see changed. Is this true? Are you awake up on top of the hill? All right. Is, is, is that a true statement? There are some things that we would like to change or, or like to see changed. But the problem is a lot of times we just can't snap our fingers and make it happen. And when we talk about things changing, that's really what we're talking about if we're honest. Because the reality is if things are going to change, some of us are actually going to have to be the change. Some of us are going to have to get past our own little lives and our own comfort zones and just kind of doing our own thing and be made uncomfortable, maybe even experience some pain sometimes in order to make a difference. And so we're going to look at a man in the Bible that God broke him in order to make a difference. And it's my prayer today that God will use his word and by his spirit in some of our lives that we'll come out of this broken to make a difference. So let's talk about Nehemiah and look in Nehemiah chapter 1, and we'll kind of touch on chapter 2 as well. But Nehemiah was the cupbearer for a king, now you say, what's a cupbearer? Well, basically what he had to do in part was he had to taste the king's wine. Now, if you liked wine, this would be a good job except for one thing. The reason they wanted him to taste the king's wine was to make sure that nobody had poisoned it. So unless you died, it was a good job. Now, it would have been a comfortable life. He, he lived in the king's palace. And, and, and really, beyond even just tasting the wine, he would have kind of been almost like a confidant to the king. So Nehemiah would have been trusted. He would have been talented. He would have been gifted. He was probably handsome if he was going to appear you know, at the king's side and all these kind of things. Uh, he had, uh, in, in a lot of ways, other than the danger of it, a good, easy comfortable life. But then something happened. And you know, there are moments and events that God can use, I think, to instantaneously get our attention and change us. Sometimes we just know in a moment that God's telling us to do something or he's telling us to stop do, doing something or that he is, uh, you know, he's got a different direction. He's got something for us uh, to do. And, and I think the question is, are we going to listen in that moment or are we going to retreat back? Are we going to kind of guard ourselves? Are we open to what God puts before us? So it says here in Nehemiah, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, that it came to pass in the month of Chislev, which uh, would have been Novemberish on our calendar. We're dealing with a Jewish calendar here. In, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, 
who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So what had happened here is because uh, of the Jews, the people of God, because of their disobedience to God, God's discipline on them, they had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, but then they had been allowed to move back into their homeland, into Jerusalem, uh, the, the city of God. Uh, this had, but of about probably 2 million Jews, only about 50,000 had uh, moved back in that area. And it, he, he, they said to me, verse 3, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So, Nehemiah cared enough to ask about something that did not directly involve his life. But he cared about the people of God, and he cared about the name and the renown and the glory of God because it was a great reproach to the name of the Lord that the city of Jerusalem was in this condition. It was, in a sense, a judgment upon the people of God, but I mean, it really would have been embarrassment, an embarrassment to them. You know, these religious people who talked about their God, they couldn't even have a safe city because in, in that day and time, if there was a city with no walls, you couldn't really put anything nice in it because somebody could invade. People were afraid to live there. It was dangerous. It, it was just a reproach uh, to them. Now, when Nehemiah heard this news, when he heard about this problem, when he heard about this difficulty, the question was, how was he going to respond? And you know, the same thing is true for us today. When we hear about a problem, a difficulty, a situation, whether it's on the news or whether it's in the life of somebody we know, somebody close to us, the question is, how are we going to respond? We can say, oh, that's too bad, and just kind of move on with life. Are we going to make a difference? Look at what Nehemiah did. It says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And this is the, the first truth I want you to notice from this text that I want you to see about being broken to make a difference. And that is that the godly response to sin and suffering is brokenness. The godly response to sin and suffering is brokenness. Once again, I think it's, it's natural for us to kind of harden our hearts, thicken our skin to try to avoid pain. It's natural for us to want life to be comfortable and, and to stick our head in the sand sometimes. It, it's natural to say, well, that's too bad, but what can I really do uh, about that? It, it, it's, it's natural to uh, just, you know, want to protect ourselves, to protect our families, but what's supernatural and what's biblical is for our hearts to be broken by what God breaks God's heart. So what breaks our hearts? 
You know, what breaks our hearts, what burdens us is really one of the biggest clues there is to God's assignment for you. Listen, we're not capable of being burdened over everything. We're not capable of making a difference when it comes to everything. We're not called to make a difference when it comes to everything. But there is something that we're called to be burdened over, to be broken over. There's a way that God wants us to make a difference. And what we're passionate about, what breaks our hearts, where we're gifted, the opportunities that God puts in front of us, all those things are clues to the assignment that that God has given us for our lives. Listen, we can't do it all. We can't fix everything, but we can do something. We can make a difference somewhere. The godly response to sin and suffering is brokenness. And so if God breaks our heart for something, and see, this is what, I, what I'm talking about. You know, I felt compelled by God to come here and plant a church. And then out of that, I feel like my calling, my burden is to raise up leaders, both within the church and then to help other people plant churches. My burden is Honduras. I can't be burdened. I can't make a difference for every country in the world. But I can make a difference somewhere. We have made a difference somewhere. What's God called you to do? What kind of opportunities has he put in front of you? And and if he breaks our heart over something, then what's the godly expression of that? And I just want to show you just three very simple expressions of brokenness that that we see in this text. Just kind of three in a sense, simple steps that we can take if we want God to use us to make a difference. And and the first one is this, broken people sit down and mourn. Broken people sit down and mourn. Notice again, verse four. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God uh, of, of heaven. You know, I, th- I think sometimes in Christian circles, we have this idea, you know, that we're always supposed to be happy, clappy, and up, and, and, and positive, and it feels like sometimes that we act like we kind of have to defend God or something, and, you know, that we're always supposed to be full of joy and praise the Lord, brother, everything is good. You know that's not biblical, I hope. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about joy, but it also talks a lot about lament, There are times that we're to mourn. There are times that we're to grieve. There are times that we're to be broken, that that we just have to sit down and get with God and deal with, you know, what is bothering us personally. But even beyond that, that's how, that's a first step in dealing with the sin and suffering in the world. What we're going to see in this text is Nehemiah was able by the power of God, by the hand of God on him to solve a 140-year-old problem in 52 days. But before those 52 days, and I'm not saying he did this, you know, like 24-7, but he spent four months praying before he started acting to solve the problem. But he began with mourning, His heart was broken. He was grieved. Don't run away from that. Embrace that. 
Sometimes we need to wrestle with God. Listen, before every turning point in my life and in every way that God has used my life, whether it's going into ministry, whether it's planning a church, and I could go down through the list, there has been a time of mourning and brokenness before God before a step forward was taken. It's just how he works. Listen, something you can mark down is God will not use a person greatly before he breaks that person deeply. He does a work in us before he does a work through us. Broken people first sit down and mourn. But I want you to understand that that's not the end. That's actually just the beginning. And there's a second step because after we sit down and mourn, then we kneel down and pray. Look at what he says here. He says, when I heard these words, I I, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. But then he says, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And and notice how he prayed. He he, he said, "Um, oh, Lord, or he says, I pray, Lord God of heaven. O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statues, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now, let me just point out something at the end, and then we'll circle back and uh, kind of walk through the prayer just a little bit. Uh, When when he prayed there at the end, he said, grant him mercy in the sight of this man. You see, his prayer wasn't just, God, you fix everything while I'm sitting on the couch eating chips. I mean, he was praying, he was asking for God to move and work, but ultimately he was praying, God, help me to make a difference. He, he was praying, God, I'm going to go to the king about this, and I'm going to talk to him and see if he'll help me go back and rebuild this wall, but you have to work in the king. He was praying for four months, but did you know even after this, even when he starts acting There's 12 prayers recorded in the book of Nehemiah. 
It wasn't an either-or thing for him. It was a both-and. It was prayer and action. Somebody has said uh, that we ought to uh, work like everything depends on us and pray like everything depends on God. And I think you see that in Nehemiah. He was a man of prayer. I mean, he prayed based on the character of God. He said, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God. He prayed based on the faithfulness of God. He said, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you. And then notice he prayed for himself and for other people. Notice that he confessed sins because once again, if God's going to work through us, we actually have to be right with God. The Bible says we regard iniquity in our heart that God won't hear us when we pray. The Bible says it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says uh, the the Lord. And and so if we're going to be filled with God's spirit, we have to be repenting of sin. And so the reality is if you're not a Christian and God is breaking your heart, the Bible says he who mourns will be comforted. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first step in having a relationship with God is coming to the place of knowing that we're a sinner, that our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, that our only hope is the, the shed blood of Jesus, him dying for us on the cross, rising from the dead, and coming to the place of saying, God, forgive me. I am a sinner. There is nothing I can do to save myself. I need Jesus. I need your grace and your mercy. And understand, once we do that, we're justified. We're declared righteous in the sight of God. We have a relationship that's never going to change, but our fellowship can change. And so that's why we confess sin, repent of sin in our daily life. And listen, if we want God to really use us, it comes from day to day, getting with him, coming to his presence, confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, letting him do a work within us. And, you know, we can't try to fix everybody else or fix something that's going on in the world until we let God fix us on the inside. He prayed based on the word of God because he knew according to God's word that God actually wanted them to be in Jerusalem, but they weren't there because of their sin. But if they would repent, that God would bring them back. But once again, ultimately he prayed, God use me. And so are we just praying, God do something? Are we praying, God use me? Or do we not even care enough to pray? Or are we trying to handle things, fix things, whether it's in our own life or in in, in helping other people by uh, our own strength and our own works and our own efforts instead of God's power? Listen, with everything that is going on in our world today, only God can really fix it. And unless there is a revival and an awakening amongst the people of God, things aren't going to get better. It has to start if the church of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to sit down and mourn. We're going to have to kneel down and pray. You know, somebody sent me something in Facebook Messenger uh, this week, and, and I did some research on it because it was in, on Facebook uh, to see if it was really true. And it was about a revival that happened uh, in some islands off the coast of Scotland back in the mid-1950s. And um, there was a man, a, a preacher, an evangelist by the name of Duncan Campbell who came there to do a two-week like revival meeting and ended up staying there for two years. But what led to it were two sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith, who were 82 and 84, who couldn't get out of their house. Sound familiar? 
because of their health condition. And they began to seek God and claim the promises of God and began, their ministry was a ministry of intercession. And as God began to move in them and work in them, they, they called the pastor of their church and said, we feel like God's about to do something great here. And he gathered together like the elders, the deacons, whatever it was of their church. And, uh, you know, they began to have prayer meetings together. And one night, one of those deacons began to quote from Psalm 24 about having clean hands and a pure heart. And they began to confess sin because every revival began with the confession of sin, if you study it historically. And as they began to do that, the power of God began to move, and people began uh, to get saved. And just uh, God was doing some incredible things. One young man that got saved was a 15-year-old by the name of Donald, and he became actually one of the key intercessors and leaders in this revival. God used a 15-year-old and an 84-year-old because prayer does not discriminate by age. You may think, I can't do much. You can pray. We need some prayer warriors. Some people, you know, maybe that is the specific ministry that God is calling you to, to intercede, to pray for God to move and work in the world, to pray for your church, to pray for our church plants, to pray uh, for, you know, different ministries. If you feel like that's the ministry God's given you, talk to me, and we'll help you kind of give you some guidance on some things that we need prayer for. But prayer is some of the hardest work of the Christian life, if we're honest about it. Are we willing to sit down and mourn, not run from the pain, not run from the brokenness, but embrace it? But then are we, there's never time to pray. You have to make time to pray. But are we willing to make that a part of our lives, to seek God first for ourselves and then uh, for others? Listen, if we just took some of the time that we spent complaining about things or posting on social media how messed things up are, how messed up things are, and spent that time in prayer, some things might start to change. So sit down and mourn, kneel down and pray. But then once we've done that, it's time to rise up and act. Remember how he prayed at the end of chapter 1? Lord, prosper your servant. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. In other words, God, you prepare the king's heart for when I talk to him about doing this. And if you look in chapter 2, and we're not going to read all of it, but I just want to point out a couple of things here to you. Uh, one day, uh, the king asked Nehemiah why he was so sad. In other words, he could see the brokenness on his countenance, but that could have been a problem for Nehemiah because he was never supposed to be sad in the presence of the king. And so he could have actually lost his life over this. So he says that here that he was afraid. And so it says here that he prayed again in verse 4. And then he said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, uh, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And then the king and queen start asking him uh, some questions. But Nehemiah, as he was praying, was also strategizing. He was wise. He already had the answers to the questions. He, he had formulated some things. See, there's no contradiction between prayer and planning if we're actually seeking God as we do both. And, and, and so he was able to answer the questions. The king gave his approval. 
And so in verse 11, he goes uh, to Judah, uh, to Jerusalem, and and he surveys the situation, and he looks at what's uh, going on. And then in verse 16, it says, The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. He was casting vision. He was saying, this is the problem. Let's be the solution. He says, I told one of them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that, they, that he had spoken to me. Uh, So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Because if you're really going to change the world, you can't do it alone. you got to be a leader. And what what you find if you read through the book, which I would encourage you to do, is that in 52 days, they completed the building of this wall. He kneeled, uh, he, he, he sat down and mourned. He kneeled down and prayed. And then he rose up and acted in, in courageous obedience and sacrifice to the will of God for him as revealed through the burden that God had placed in his heart. What burdens you? Or, or, or maybe let me ask it this way. Who burdens you? There's some people in your life that you're concerned about that maybe you're worried about, or maybe you say bless their heart about a a, a lot. If you've got that burden, God wants you to be broken for them, to pray for them, and then to minister to them in the name of Jesus. What kind of gifts and talents has he given you? What kind of opportunities has he given you? Sometimes it's just taking the next right step. Sometimes it's doing, just doing the things that are before you. Sometimes, you know, there's, there's just an opportunity that God gives you. You know, I think about, you know, when I, when I was a kid, um, in uh, the afternoons, my thing to do, like before I, I guess, started going to school, I don't know how long I continued to, to watch it, but I loved watching Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. Anybody grow up on Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers? <laughs> uh, it's good for you. But, uh, you know, something I read about recently, you know, the, the late 1960s were a tumultuous time in our country. You know, Martin Luther King was assassinated in 1968. There was a lot of riots then. And, um, you know, through the 1960s, even though uh, desegregation had become the law of our land, there was still a lot of it going on. And one of the things that were segregated uh, were swimming pools. And kids, you don't know what the word segregation means. That means uh, if you weren't white, you couldn't get in the water with white people. And, uh, of course, you know, racism, that kind of thing is wrong. God tells us to love everyone, but obviously that is an ongoing fight. But uh, on May the 9th, 1969, uh, on an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he had a, a black police officer join him, and he had a little, like, you know, just waiting pool, kiddie pool, like some of you have at your house for your two-year-olds. And they put their feet in the water together, and then they shared a towel. He used his platform to make a powerful statement. He just took an opportunity that was in front of him. We can do the same thing. Um, How many of you 
If, if you got this on your phone, hold up your phone right now. How many of you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone? I don't know what the exact number is now. As of a couple of years ago, last time I heard a number, there have been 330 million people that have downloaded the YouVersion Bible app. And of course, their ultimate hope for the YouVersion Bible app is to provide a Bible in every language. You know, for us, it may be a convenience, but we also have uh, a lot of us, you know, a dozen of these kind of Bibles laying around our house. For some people around the world, this is the only opportunity for them to have God's Word in, in, in their language. Uh, their vision for that ministry is to end Bible poverty. You know how that ministry got started, though? It's, it's out of Life Church. Um, you know, that's, that's headquartered in Oklahoma, they had done a webpage, uversion.com, that, was the, that Craig Rochelle kind of describes it as a combination of, of the Bible, YouTube, and Facebook. And it failed miserably. He said nobody used it, not even them. Uh, they said they were about two weeks away from uh, pulling the plug on this. Uh, this was about uh, you know, sometime in the late 2000s. And um, he said Bobby Grunewald, one of their, their pastors on staff, came to him one day and, and said, Apple is about to launch apps. What if instead of doing this as a web page, we did version as an app? Okay, what if we launched YouVersion as one of the first free apps that a- Apple offers? And postscript to the story, it was one of the first 20 apps that launched on day one of the Apple Store uh, for that. But Craig Rochelle was like, can we do that? Uh, you know, I'm a pastor. We're a church. Can we make an app? He's like, we don't know. Let's just ask around. And so they started asking around their staff. And they found a 19-year-old a, a part-time staff person. They asked him, um, can you make an app? And he said, that shouldn't be a problem. And he, a 19-year-old part-time staff person, developed the app. It launched on a Friday, and, it, and Craig O'Shell says, well, uh, you know, they kind of forgot about it on Saturday, but then on Sunday, they thought, well, maybe we ought to check and see if anybody's downloaded this thing. And on Sunday, there had been over 80,000 downloads of the Bible app. He said the 19-year-old part-time guy had a full-time job on Monday morning. And now, 400 million downloads later, a 19-year-old took what he could do and think about the impact that it's made on the kingdom of God. We spend too much time thinking about what we can't do and what's wrong instead of thinking about what we can do and how God can use us to make a difference. All of us have talents and gifts and opportunities and platforms and people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ, people that need the love of Jesus Christ. And God can use us to make a difference if we'll just let our hearts be broken instead of our lives being all about ourselves and instead of hardening our hearts and running from the pain, if we'll embrace the pain, if we'll embrace the problem and sit down and mourn and kneel down and pray and then rise up and act, God can use us as individuals and as the church 
to make a difference in people's lives and to make a difference in this world. And if the gospel's true, and if the gospel is the only hope for humanity, which it ultimately is, if it is ultimately the only solution to our problems, while because, and I think it is, I mean, I understand that there's systemic things, but at the same time, if you don't change people's hearts, none of the systemic stuff is going to change. Uh, that's why you think about the Civil War, there was the Emancipation Proclamation, but there was still Jim Crow in the South because people people's hearts didn't change. It takes both, but it starts with their hearts. And if we, and if we as the church of Jesus Christ don't make a difference through the gospel, where are we headed? Sit down and mourn. Kneel down and pray. Rise up and act because the godly response to sin and suffering is brokenness. Listen to me, I'm about to close, but I just, I don't want you to hear this and be like, okay, we came to church today, we sat out in the heat and, you know, give ourselves a spiritual pat on the back and go on with life. What does God want us to do? You know, what does God want us to do as a church? We're here to meet people where they are. And help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. We're here to make a difference. We're here to share the gospel. We're here to meet human needs. We're here to plant churches. We're here uh, to do missions, uh, you know, to, to serve here, to serve in Honduras, to ultimately serve to the ends of the world. Listen, right now, it's an, it would be easy just to shrink back, and there's so many, uh, you know, difficulties, and there's so many challenges, and, you know, we're still trying to figure out, you know, some of the details on moving back inside, and it's, it's easy to get caught up in all that and it's discouraging and it's frustrating and there's been days over the last few months it's just kind of like, you know, is this even worth it? But I'm telling you, this is not the time for the church of Jesus Christ to shrink back. It's the time for us to step up because what's going to happen if we don't? It's, it's the time to realize that God is ultimately in control and, and God is working even through these difficulties. And if we'll let him work in and through us, he can use us to make a difference. It's time for us to step up. It's time for us to sacrifice for the sake of people and to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel to be used to make a difference. Not just as a church, but as individuals. What kind of burden has God given you? Who are you burdened for? Who's your one? Who's somebody in your life that God is calling you to reach out to with the gospel? God's calling you to encourage, to love on, to minister to. How's God calling you to serve? Are you using your gifts in the church? You know, we kind of specifically have some needs right now as we transition back. You know, for those of you who are online who can't come back uh, because of health issues or whatever, we need some people to serve as online host. You can do that from your home while you're watching your, the, the service. Some of you who can, you know, maybe not all of our kids, kids teachers can serve right now in the short term. Maybe some of you who can, it'd be a good time for you to step up and do that. You know, one of the things we're in the process of doing that's going to help us in the room and it's going to help us online is we're upgrading our audio, video, lighting, production, and all of that. And we need some people to serve in that area. And particularly, if you have some kind of professional expertise in computers, IT, you know, sound, anything along those lines, we really need you 
right now. And so, uh, you know, if, if you're interested in learning about uh, one of those areas that I just mentioned, once again, if you'll text 94000-94000 and uh, put in lowercase, TLC serve, you'll get a form that you can fill out and somebody can follow up with you from that. Once again, you can do the same thing with 94,000 TLC guest. If you need to talk to someone today about becoming a Christian or being baptized or, you know, any other kind of spiritual decision, you can text 94,000 TLC decision. You'll get a form you can fill up, fill out there. There's also a, a form like that in the app in events or if you need to talk or pray, come see me or uh, Preston Ford, one of our pastors will be down here. Pastor Philip will be up there near uh, the table. Uh, you, you can talk to one of them.